Welcome to the Save the Date Wedding Podcast with your host, Alicia McCormack. Alicia's a comedian, wife, author of Smart Wedding, who once danced with a real-life Spice Girl. Which one was it? Baby? Posh? Ginger? It was Scary Spice, Carly. You missed out Scary. Mel B and I had a bit of a dance at the Melbourne Cup. In Australia, the Melbourne Cup is a horse race. The race that stops a nation is the famous saying. They do a public holiday for this horse race. You know, in other countries, they do Labor Day, you know, celebrating unions, eight-hour day, celebrating the fact that, you know, we're not going to work people into the ground. But in Australia, no, we celebrate horse racing. And lots of B-grade, C-grade celebrities all are flown to the Melbourne Cup to appear in fancy Melbourne Cup tents. And each year when I was reporting for The Circle, the TV show in Australia, we would toddle off to the tents and interview lots of celebrities while they got drunk. So Mel B showed up and I thought, damn girl, there is no way I am not getting out of this tent without having some sort of one-on-one communication with her. And she was up for it. She was really into it, mainly because I declared that I loved her reality TV show, which I did. And it wasn't a popular show, unfortunately, but I did know all the words, the theme tune words uh, to the song, which I sang at her, which again gained trust. And then some music came on and we started to dance which was really fun until the tent security told us to stop it because we were causing a scene, which I love because if someone's going to stop you from dancing, it should be because you're dancing with a Spice Girl and taking too much attention away from the other celebrities in the celebrity tent. So that is my Scary Spice dancing story, and I will remember it with such pleasure for so many years to come. Yes, when you are thinking of me, Please do associate me with pizza. I'm fine with that. (laughs) I like it. No, it's good. It's good. The pizza's delicious. One thing I really wanted to do with this podcast is make it a bit gender neutral, not just about brides and bridey stuff. I really want to be able to speak to men as well. And it doesn't matter if you're marrying a boy or a girl. I just hope I can cover issues and topics that interest everyone. So today, I wanted to create my very first sort of male-centric episode. Well, I mean, basically an episode that your blokes and the guys can listen to and sort of get something from as well, which, you know, just quietly, I think most of my episodes are boy and girl-centric. However, when I came across my guest, Nick Pavlidis, I thought, wow, this guy would be perfect for the Save the Date Wedding podcast because he speaks to both sexes, and what he's talking about is extremely relevant to my audience, you guys. I think you're going to like the title of his podcast and book and website. It's called A Terrible Husband, which (laughs) I thought, how appropriate. I'm talking about getting married, and he's saying, I'm a terrible husband. And when I first read this, I thought, oh, Nick, don't be so hard on yourself. But basically, Nick is an entrepreneur. He's a father and husband who basically came to the conclusion that after five years of marriage, he wasn't that good at it. And that's no disrespect to Nick. That's him saying it, saying, I actually spent a lot of time researching how to be a really good business person and how to succeed, but then not really extending any of that sort of success into his personal life. So when I was reading about this, I thought, you know what? This is perfect because we are entering the phase that he has already lived through and he has already decided how to do better. 
And I know that when you're planning a wedding, it can be stressful, it can be overwhelming. So I bought Nikon to give us the basics of how we can prepare for getting past just the actual event, the actual wedding day, and how to train ourselves not to be future terrible husbands and future terrible wives. Because, hey, we don't want to be in divorce court. That would truly suck. So Nick, you got married in 2008. If you could get back in a in a back to the future time traveling car, what would you tell your past self? I would say to myself, it doesn't matter who emptied the dishwasher last. <laughs> because I spent the first 5 years of my marriage just pretty much counting everything we did. I'd get home from work and my wife would be tired, the kids would be, you know, running around or crawling around depending on how old they were, and my first thought was she doesn't know how stressful my day was. I I understand her day was stressful, but you know, where's my credit for my, you know, my day? I was at work, I had a rough day. You know, I could just I just want to sit down for an hour and I would constantly battle in my mind that the need to defend myself that I was also stressed out or, hey, I took the trash out or I did this, I contributed. And that just really didn't lead to anything positive, as you probably could imagine, but it took me five years to realize. (laughs) When I would empty the dishwasher or take the trash out or whatever it was, and I would bring it up, or even if I would think about it, it would just lead to more resentment, more frustration, more arguing. And it led to bad days. And when I switched that in my mind to I'm just contributing to the household 24-7, sometimes I'm contributing to the household by being out at the office. Sometimes I'm contributing to the household for whatever it is, emptying the dishwasher or waking up early in the morning um, you know, to help with the kids or whatever it is. It's just something I'm doing to contribute to the household. It's nothing to celebrate. It's nothing to count. Yeah, I think that's the big thing. It's it's you don't need to have a a tick board on the fridge to to say, "Hey, I'm pulling my weight." It should just be part of being a team. And I think my husband and I have always said we are a team. We do it together whether one person's having a really crappy week at work, you, you know, you do pick up something extra in the house and and hopefully it shouldn't even be acknowledged. You just do it because it's going to make that person's life and therefore your couple life so much easier. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, it's really sad to admit, but I actually considered once actually getting a tick board for the refrigerator <laughs> to pr- to prove my worth. Like, Don't yes, do I, that. Hel- oh, that was terrible. That was a bad We're not five year olds. Although it probably works with kids to say, here's a little task for you to do. We're in our thirties. We don't need to do that. <laughs> yeah. Could you imagine me and my five year old son with our chore chart or whatever it is? <laughs> Getting stickers. Nick, did you unload the dishwasher this week? <laughs> you get a gold star. Yes. <laughs> Most of the people that are listening to my podcast, I'm assuming, this is a big assumption here, they're planning weddings. They're, they're organizing a really big, as you said, sometimes quite stressful day full of hundreds of people booking things. It's business. It's money. I always feel like if you can pass this as a team together, organizing this this day you can do anything it really sets you up for having kids getting mortgages going in as you said to the day-to-day life what were your experiences when planning your wedding did you did you as a a reformed terrible fiance slash husband did you pull your weight or did your wife do a lot of the work it it was something i really enjoyed particularly because it was a cultural thing for me to bring bring some of my upbringing into the wedding uh but also because it it was really a fun process. 
uh, when I looked at it the right way. So, for example, if you're trying to decide between a cream-colored napkin and uh, something else that's really just a cream-colored napkin, <laughs> it you you struggle with it sometimes. And my wife would come to me and she'd be like, so which napkins do you think we want? Or should we go with blue lights or purple lights or whatever, whatever it is? There was a napkin conversation. <laughs> There's always a napkin conversation. <laughs> yeah, that is yes. part of the deal. At the end of the day, the decision didn't matter. Not only in the big sense, because really it's a napkin and you were talking about a marriage here, but also in the little sense, because you're not going to, the day of your wedding, you're not going to be like, you know, I really should have picked that, you know, <laughs> off colored, that eggshell, that eggshell is, we're doomed. This is over. We should just, we should just quit now. So it, it, it really, it really doesn't matter. So when, when planning the wedding, just really appreciating that no one else, including you, is going to even think about what the other options are. And the other people are not going to know. Pick a napkin. It doesn't really matter. Focus on what you're really doing here and that's planning a celebration for the rest of your life your guests are there to celebrate this union they're not there to say oh this looks like pinterest or this this looks like something out of martha stewart weddings they don't give yeah. a, they don't give a crap yeah absolutely i i can i still remember about a week before uh before my wedding my wife comes and she's all serious and she says hey do you think we should get lighting for the walls and <laughs> and i'm thinking I know the answer to this. The answer, <laughs> the answer is, I think that would be great. Th that's the answer she wanted. Sure. And that's the answer I, I went with after, wait, wait, lighting for the what is it? <laughs> what? I don't understand. <laughs> yeah. What are we doing here? Yeah. She, well, it would be really cool for the ambiance if you had, you know, different colored lights and they, she gave me this whole, uh, 30 second, they, they oh, changed she throughout the night. Yeah. She, she gave really, the lighting pitch. She totally pitched it, and and we we went with the lights, and it was wonderful. <laughs> I still don't understand it. I'm almost still embarrassed by it that we paid something like five hundred dollars to have lights shine on walls. Stop it! Oh, it, it, I don't know. It, in my mind, it was five hundred. In reality, it was probably like thirty bucks, but I don't really know. But like in in my mind, it was just why are we paying to light the walls? But. <laughs> Anyhow, sorry about that. That was no, just an I love, I love the wall vent. The wall lighting vent is necessary, Nick, because I, there's someone out there thinking right now, listening, going, yeah, I do need wall lighting. And yeah, I need the eggshell napkins. And you go, hey, I'm going to need you just to take a moment and get your, get your control on and think about other things. Wall light discussions can really turn into some, some heated <laughs> arguments on priorities. Cause I, I, I feel, this is really this is troubling. I feel like I should lay down now because I, I feel a lot of emotions coming back from wow. from now six years ago I planning like this thing. I like <laughs> yeah. that I'm doing this to you. Yeah, because all I because I, I I remember thinking we cut my list down and notice how I said my list yes. because you know terrible husband. Um, we cut the list down, our list down, down to what ultimately was 350 invites. But we cut people out, and I'm thinking. With this light money, we could invite one more person. Why not just invite one more person and have someone there to celebrate with? And and that was the wrong answer. First of all, it wasn't about people at that time. Uh, second of all, because we had already agreed. So having this discussion and going back to something that we had already agreed on, it was it, it was not a big trust issue, but it was a trust issue. I thought we already decided that. So are you going back on your agreement? And it, it was just it made for a very uncomfortable conversation, but. 
Yeah, don't get me started on the, on lighting the walls because they are small things and they really don't matter. And at the end of the day, and even your ultimate list, once we came to an agreement, the conversation about the list didn't matter at that point. It was something that we reached together. And we moved on, and or we should have moved on. Apparently, I didn't as much as I as uh, I. You still have. have. I love that you're still yeah. holding on to that, Nick. I think this could be another topic for you to continue. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I think I'm gonna have. Yeah, I'm gonna. I'm gonna spend some time on that. I'm gonna go cry now. Thanks. <laughs> Wasn't expecting the interview to take that turn. My guest <laughs> has a full breakdown over memories of wall lighting. You are the future of the people that get through the wedding planning and then there's the rest of their lives to leave, which I think sometimes we all forget about when we're planning weddings. Yeah, you know, it's funny. When we were planning our wedding, I was a terrible fiancé at the time (laughs) and I grew up in a Greek family, a big Greek family. I have 13 first cousins in Greece alone. I have you know, family here and my wife came from a big family. Her parents were divorced and remarried, but her family was more very small when it comes to family events and things like that. So we actually, when we were preparing for our wedding, had several conversations where I'm used to the big fat Greek weddings. Mm. So my, my initial list was 400 people on my side ah, alone. No way. And, yeah. And, and it just, I completely, it did not dawn on me that that would be weird to her. <laughs> You have created a a website called A Terrible Husband and now launched a podcast called A Terrible Husband, Confessions of a Terrible Husband, Lesson Learns from a Lumpy Couch. I would like to provide my wonderful Save the Date podcast listeners with some advice about how to not end up on the couch. And I know you're going to give it to me. Well, my best piece of advice, the thing that really revolutionized my marriage is that your marriage will only be as good as you make it. Mm. And what what that means is I spent so much time watching every news station, every sports station, every sitcom that I wanted. Those are things I'm interested in, and there's nothing wrong with that. But when you spend hours and hours and hours learning about leadership and business and sports and nothing, learning about how to be a good husband, your knowledge base and your balance and your focus just really gets off whack. So for me, had this this very intentional switch so when i'm reading i'm a big leadership guy when i'm listening to that stuff now i'm thinking not only how can i apply that to my business but how can i apply that to my marriage i think when you read about successful people in business a lot of them have successful interpersonal relationships whether it's a, a partner or within their organizations you know you hear about richard branson being one of these approachable guys, I interviewed him a few years ago and found him so warm and engaging. He had this amazing sort of quality that made you feel like you were absolutely his point of attention for that five minutes that I spent with him. So I I love that point that you're making. It is is absolutely connected. Yeah, absolutely. I worked at a large law firm in New York City for almost 10 years and there was a very distinct difference. And you could even tell how successful people's personal lives were based on how they acted in their professional life. There are several people where I'd be in their office, their phone would ring or their uh, BlackBerry or iPhone would, would buzz and their eyes would dart over. Their minds were buzzing and buzzing and buzzing. And you could just feel that you weren't the most important thing. Mm-hmm. And then there were others who, you know, they, they were at the top of the corporate ladder and the phone would ring and it would ring often, but their eyes would not move from you. You just felt that connection. And I think that same that same 
principle applies at home when my phone goes off and, and my eyes don't shift towards it. Or when I come home from work and I take my phone and I put it upside down on the counter. So it, if some, if there's an alert, I'm not distracted by it. Just really focusing on what's important and how to really pour into your marriage is, is just a powerful way to be at home. And it's a really effective way to just connect better with your wife. It is one of those things that I really resent, but I get up in the morning and my iPhone is on the bedstand and I reach over after saying, good morning, Rich, and then check my emails, which is a really dirty habit, which I'd love to get out of. But we are so connected all the time. It is a, it is actually a matter of physically saying, I'm not going to have the phone. I'm going to leave it in another room. I'll switch it on silent. We need off time. Absolutely. And, and when we say, when we talk about being connected, when we're connected to our phones or what is on our phones, that's really not the most important connections to make. You should be connected 24-7, but in my mind, that should be with your wife and with your, if you have kids, or with your family first. And the buzzes and the emails, there's really nothing that can't wait an hour. More with Nick Pavlidis after this. Alicia's from Australia, the land down under with kangaroos, koalas, and weird phrases that no one else understands. Sometimes I just nod along to make her feel better. So each week, we thought we'd take a moment to translate some Australianisms. Today's phrase is, ah, fair shake. I'm delighted with the way Cara Lee pronounced that. We would say in Australia, oh, fair shake. Oh, fair shake, mate. It's a, it's a term of, of declaring the injustice of it all. You're being very unreasonable. It's a very colloquial term that uh, people from all echelons of society seem to use. And one of the most famous examples of this expression came out a few years ago when our former Prime Minister, Kevin Rudd, who was reasonably well-spoken. He, he's one of those guys that could speak fluent Mandarin. He was a little nerdy and, you know, good on him good on him but to, to, in order to seem a little bit more down to earth he started pulling out all the Australian colloquialisms and repeated the phrase fair shake about four times in one interview. Fair shake of the sauce bottle mate. It was so polite it really was pretty hilarious made big news around Australia and even internationally as well because you wouldn't hear Obama or David Cameron going those sort of expressions but we loved it we really did. Only in Australia. Good one Aussies. I feel like a lot of your advice really comes from the art of communication. And I know that a lot of couples, especially in stressful times, like buying a house or planning a wedding, can sometimes not communicate clearly. And also learning to be honest and open. If you sit down and have that conversation, then it's been had. You know where the other person stands and what their needs and expectations are. Right. And I think it's really important to 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 think about and emphasize that word expectations, because if I'm going to be home from work at seven o'clock or eight o'clock, it's a completely different environment. It's a completely different day if I say I'm going to be home at 530 and I end up home at eight. So even from a day to day thing, small, small picture, big picture, managing everybody's expectations is a real powerful way to not turn something that could just be, okay, this is what today is, into an argument. Why didn't you call? Why, why, why? When you start asking why didn't you, that just turns a conversation really negative really fast. I read all these blogs and people saying, oh, he's not contributing or I don't think my fiance is interested in what I'm doing. And you're getting married together. It's a mutual thing. 
I personally wasn't a little girl that ever dreamt of growing up and having a big white wedding. I, I didn't bring those expectations into wedding planning. But I do think a lot of women say, I've dreamed of it this way. This is how it's going to be. If this doesn't happen, I'll be devastated. And then the guy just says, oh, I, I want to keep her happy and make this work because, of course, this is her dream. So it completely isolates the guy from the process from the get-go. What do you think are the ways that we can prevent that happening from day one, from engagement stations? I think when you start talking, my wife doesn't understand that I don't care about this. I don't care what shape the the butter knives are or if the the wife is saying, I dreamt of this wedding and he's not going to take it away from me or whatever it is, when you start talking like that, you're first focused on the wrong things. In the big picture, you're not you're planning a wedding, but you're preparing for a marriage. If you start thinking, I planned this on my whole life, I planned this my whole life, but you also planned to meet him or to meet her and to love, respect, and honor each other. And I understand people get into this mode in their brain where they, whether it's the groom or the bride, they just have one thing on their mind to the exclusion of every other emotion. And they're, they're really focused on this one thing and it can, it can make them say and, and do some really, some things that they wouldn't, uh, they wouldn't accept being done to them. They wouldn't accept being, if someone talked to their mother like that, that would be the end of it. For some reason, it seems with wedding planning, they forget about all these other all these other factors, these real big picture factors. It unleashes so, mentalness, Nick. It's like I always think about what would a bridezilla do and then just do the opposite. If you've ever seen that television show, which I'm sure many people have watched and gone, I would never be like that. And then you need to check yourself and say, I'm going feral about wine glass shapes. I'm, it, I sound <laughs> insane. I'm the bride. I should be number one. I am the bride. No, I don't like it. I want it dressed, and I want it long, and I want it beautiful. If you're communicating the wine glass issue as a my dream from a child was <laughs> to have this wedding and you are now crushing my dream, <laughs> it yeah. sounds silly, right? Yeah, it sounds yeah. crazy. I'm pretty sure the dream as a child was not to have you know, stemless wine glasses. I wanted stemless wine glasses as an eight-year-old. Come on. <laughs> How could you take this dream from me? You, yeah, exactly. Oh, I ever wanted. When you're walking down the aisle or when you're standing at the end of the aisle and you're looking at the person either walking towards you or who you're walking towards and knowing that there's nothing else this person wants to be doing right now than standing right there about to agree to spend the rest of their life with you. That is an amazing feeling. That's a fairy tale ending. Because remember, at the end of the wedding, at the end of the fairy tales, it wasn't and their wedding was written up in the New York Times and there were photos everywhere and all the people could not stop talking about the way the origami napkins and how the centerpieces touched the ceiling. It was and they lived happily ever after. Because that's how the fairy tale ends, and that's really what's important in all these fairy tales. And to be honest, Nick, marriage isn't always easy. It's not always happily ever after. We've got to work on it, which is why people should visit a terriblehusband.com because you provide so many interesting resources. You've got a book coming out? Yeah, I am finishing up the book now. It's Confessions of a Terrible Husband, Lessons Learned from a Lumpy Couch. <laughs> and it's really... Um, 
you know, it, it's the book is not serious. It's not a gossip book, but it's just stories from the first six years of my marriage, how I didn't prioritize my marriage, how I spent too much time worrying about where the next dollar was going to come from and not where, you know, whether I was contributing emotionally, especially at home, uh, but also time wise. And it's, it's just a fun exploration about some of the dumb things that I said or did. And it's just a real world marriage book. I cannot wait to read it. And uh, if you actually go to a terrible husband.com, you can sign up to receive the book for free rewards people for supporting me. They get a free copy of the book. That's it. No questions asked. I'm committed to keeping that get the book for free uh, sign up. So you just enter your email address and when the book is finished, you'll get an email that says, here's a Dropbox folder with um, Kindle version, PDF version. Just download it. Wow. That's it. That's um, excellent. That's very yeah. generous of you, Nick, because writing a book, I've written a book. It's bloody hard work. Well, it is. And, and part of the reason why I'm giving it away for free until it goes on sale is to get me to hurry up and finish it. <laughs> it's an excellent motivator to have your wonderful Facebook group and all your followers going, when's the book? When's the book? I want to read the book. Let's go. Come on, Nick. Come on. Come on. Come on. Oh, it's been so fun. And I feel like there's so much more to talk about. So I'd love to have you on again in the future after you've launched. And also, um, I cannot encourage people enough to visit iTunes and, uh, search for a terrible husband podcast which i will link to in my show notes of course and i know that you'll be launching with quite a few podcasts up your sleeve so you can get started in your good husband training husband and wife training programs listeners out there because it's so important to remember you may be planning a wedding but it is also you're planning the rest of your life together after the after the crockery's packed up and the presents are open then you've got to go home and you know get along it has been such a pleasure, Nick Pavlidis, and we will talk again, and I wish you all the best with the book and the podcast. It's going to be a raging success, I have no doubt. Excellent. Thank you so much. I appreciate that. I'm going to make a public declaration here that this evening I shall be switching my telephone off. It will not be vibrating. It will not be glowing when someone's posting something to Instagram that I just absolutely have to see in the middle of dinner. I'm not going to do it. Phone's off. Thank you very much, Nick. I learned a lot more than just technology, turning off technology in our interview, but baby steps. It's a big deal for little technology addict McCormack here. Next episode of the Save the Date Wedding Podcast is the guest list. The number one cause, I, I'm going to do a little bit of a tie-in here, the number one cause of fights, premarital fights, is the guest list. That is a fact. Like Nick says, he had a big family, it caused a bit of bit of problems with his wife, him and his wife, because he had a lot more people to invite than she did. And that is when shit hits the fan. It really is. So I'm going to strip it back to the bare minimum. We're going to talk about how you create a guest list, who to invite, who to leave off. I'm going to be brutal. I want you to put your snazzy, smart decision-making heels on and your casual comfy loafers because it is business time on the Save the Date Wedding Podcast. It's a take no prisoners episode where we get things done. <laughs> it's an episode for everyone. If that doesn't get you riled up, I don't know what will. So until Monday, I will see you then. Happy days.